you, Lord. Let's just focus on that word for a minute. He is not far from any one of you. Though in your minds you think I'm far from God, he is Emmanuel right now. That word Emmanuel means exactly that. God is with us. God is with us. So just reach out to him right now. Lift up your hands and say, God, you are with me. You are with me. We have time for one more. One more word. Oh, you are with us, God. You are with us, What a sweet thing to hear from your father. I am pleased with you, my child. Because I clothe you in righteousness. Because you believed in my son and you haven't given up. Don't give up. That's all I ask of you, says the Lord. Don't give up. Don't give up, my child. I am pleased with you. I'm not ashamed of you. You don't cause me sickness. When I see you, I see my son. Because you believe, because you believe, because you believe. All I ask is that you don't give up. Do not quit. Do not grow weary in doing good.
Lift up your hands and sing that. Come on.
comes from there. Your freedom comes from there. Come on, somebody needs to break through this morning. Somebody needs to press in this morning. Today, this morning, is your moment. It's your moment right now. this world you will suffer, but be of good cheer, be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world, I have overcome the world, I have
church, you are in Christ Jesus. The, your old has passed and the new has come. It's time to shine the light. It's time to be the salt. It's time to remove that covering, the mask. Move it off and begin to speak the word of God. Speak the word of God like the, my word, the word that my sister came forth. The persecution, the, the church finds, finds themselves in turmoil overseas and suffering for Christ. And here we have the freedom. For those who understand what I'm saying, you have to speak up. You have to share the cross of Jesus. Him crucified to our generation, our seed that is dying. It's a wake-up time for the church, for MPI, wake-up time. Don't think that you got it all together. If you're waking up already, wake up some more. God wants to set us on fire. Come on, just begin to say, Lord, give me the fire. Lord, give me the boldness. Give me the courage to preach the gospel. Hallelujah. Lord, we declare your victory. We declare your salvation over Chicago, over the church of Jesus Christ, over our city, over our nation. We declare your glory. God, we say, devil, leave now. Satan, move out of the United States of America now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Everybody give God a praise. Everybody give God a praise. Everybody give God a praise. Glory to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give God a praise. Hallelujah. Let's give God a thanks this morning for his presence. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. If you're excited, be here. Say amen. Amen. And grab your seat. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. I'm Pastor Berto, campus pastor here. nursery leader can dismiss the children onto the back. They'll be great parents. If your children's with you, you guys can allow them to follow the line of the children right over here. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I have a message of salvation for those watching via webcam, those that are here present. This message salvation, what is salvation? Being saved from the wrath of God because of his, he's going to judge us of our sin the salvation to be protected to be you know set apart to be you know different from your friends and your family that don't know Jesus Christ this morning you can know Jesus Christ you can get to build a relation with him get to know him because some of you in here this morning some even listening to be a webcam have been spared. You're not saved. You have been spared, though. God has shown you mercy. God has, you know, been there in your time of trouble, in your time of turmoil, your your times where you've been in danger, and God said, hey, let me take you out. Let me protect you. Let me send an angel there to spare you. And yet, despite you still don't see what God is doing, he's trying to direct you to Jesus Christ. You see, God is in everything. He is, God is in all things in your life, whether you're saved, whether you're lost, whether you're backslidden, whether you're you're going against God, God is there. He's watching it. You know, I want to share this verse. Romans five nine says, "Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we save? How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him?" Paul is writing this, and he's speaking to a church of people that are safe. 
encouraging them since we have been justified by his blood. But you're not saved. You must want that justification. You must desire that. Because so great is the love of God that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, the soon and coming king, to die on a cross and take a punishment that you did, he did not deserve, but you and I deserve as sinners. He says, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath, from God's wrath through him? Who is him? Christ Jesus. <laughs> Jesus saves you from hell. Jesus saves you from your sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin leads to death, but the gift of God is in, is in Christ Jesus. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sin will lead to death. Sin will destroy you. God didn't intend it never to be that way. God's plan and purpose is not to for you to, 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 to you know, keep going in your sin, keep being rebellious, keep walking your own way. Because the Bible says that a man walks away that might seem right to him, but in the end will lead him to destruction. And you need to wake up this morning and say, I got to get going a different way. I got to direct my path. I got to stay. I keep getting in trouble. I keep seeing the devil coming behind me. I keep bad things keep happening to me. This is because you don't have the covering of salvation in Christ Jesus. And this morning, God is saying, hey, receive this justification. Receive the blood of Jesus. Believe it in your heart through faith. You will be saved. I will be with you. I will change you. I will transform you. You'll get to know me. And once you get to know me, you'll forget who you are. If we can please stand. If that word is for you, there's no shame in this place. God has called you for this time and moment to respond to him. Not because I'm asking you to respond. But the offer is there for your free will, to, for your, your free will. So I want to pray for those that need the salvation. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, your Holy Spirit is mighty and powerful. You saved me, Lord. You saved me. You saved many of those that are here in the path of wickedness. Lord God, we don't know how bad we are until we try to be good. That's what C.S. Lewis said. The man does not know how bad he is until they try to be good. I pray that this morning, Lord, that, that, that those that are not saved will begin to look in the goodness in Christ Jesus. And so they begin to see how bad they really are. Lord, lead them to repentance through your spirit. And may your name be glorified in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. At this moment, I would like for those that have, you know, confessed Jesus and called to him for repentance. You know, we have prayer workers. Jared, Priscilla, my wife, pastors here in our church, please come up to them during their time of fellowship. You know, they're not going to hit you over the head for all the bad things you've done. They will pray for you. Amen. So let's confess here our confession of faith. We are. Uh, like to confess this. So I want to hear us say nice and loud and clear. This is what the entire church of Jesus Christ believes in the whole. Amen. So in the count of three. One, two, and three. I believe in one God and creator 
who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the death. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind that is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Everybody say amen. Hallelujah. Uh, let's spend the first next few minutes greeting one another. Please go around and say hi to somebody you never met. Close that one prayer. Come on up. Praise the Lord who's excited to be in the house of God this morning. Make some noise as you find your way back to your seats. Look at your neighbor. Say, it's good to see you here with me. All right. 
Welcome, welcome, welcome to Metro Praise International, where we're praising his name. Come on. Our two main services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. And Elevate every Fridays at 7 p.m. We are going hard after the teenagers, and they are going to make a dent in the city for the glory of God and win their high schools. Come on. Amen. Our vision here is very simple. It's loving God, loving people. And our discipleship strategy is threefold. Connect, mentor, and send. Say it with me. Connect, mentor, send. The way we connect you to our church is through our life groups. Somebody say life groups. On the back of your handouts, we have all of the life groups listed. Ministry-based, special needs-based. We encourage you to find a place to belong, okay? So we have every single type of life group that you could think of to belong to, to get a hold of some people and say, hey, I want to share life with you. And we want to give you this week's snapshot of what's coming up just in this coming week for our life groups. So we have Sunday, today, our single men. Come on, 18 years and up, make some noise. Who's going to Nini's Deli at 3 p.m.? Also, our single uh, single mamas with child care providers. So if you are a single mama, you have got to join these powerful women of God. 5 p.m. Wednesday, King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, 6.30. Drop off your child or stay with them. But I say, hey, get a free night, 6.30 to 8. Pick them back up. That's life group for our children. And then Thursday, we have the resistance, the elevate life group. Come on, those teenagers getting together. Friday, we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Govea's house, one at the Walker's house, both with child care, both at 7 p.m. And then Saturday, evangelism. Come on, preaching the streets of, preaching the gospel on the streets of Chicago. So find a place to belong, to connect uh, with friends and just grow with us, connect, amen? And then we want to mentor you. 101, welcome to your new life. If you're new, we have leaders ready to take you through this book once a month, every other week, once a week, whatever you want. Disciples that make disciples is our 201 class. When you graduate the 101, where we train you to be a leader. And then we want to send you out to preach the gospel, to win souls. And our goal here is to have 100,000 disciples with 50 churches in Chicago and 500 around the world. If you believe we can do that by God's grace, say amen. Praise him, praise him, praise him. We just love to worship here, don't we? That was a powerful worship time. God showed up. At this time, we're going to prepare to receive our tithes and offerings. But before we actually give that, we're going to be on our lesson from the Disciples Giving Book. You could turn to your safari at givingbook.org. We are on section three on stewardship, lesson 13. If you could turn also with me to, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Verse 44 through 45. So givingbook.org and Acts chapter 2, 44 through 45. We are on lesson 13. Stewards are generous. Somebody say, I want to be generous. And so we have learned this whole time, the past 13 weeks, that stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. So let's read the Bible. Acts 2, 44 through 45. All the believers were together. And had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. How many of you guys would like to be a part of a church like that? That's what they did in the early church. Here are some main points that we could get from that passage of scripture. Number one, all believers were together. The book of Acts describes the ideal church in which all present churches should aspire to be. 
The first church set the prime example of perfect unity in the cause of Jesus Christ. How many of you guys know if we had perfect unity in the church of Jesus on the earth today, we would make some impact for his kingdom. We need to be unified like they were. Number two, sold property and possessions. Notice how the disciples first had to own things such as valuable possessions and extra houses to even be able to sell them and to give them as offerings. Therefore, they were not all poor or struggling. Many were prosperous enough to give generously to God's people. So we are not wanting to be broke, busted, and disgusted. We want you guys to be successful. Young people, we want you to go to college, get an education, be prosperous in all that you do for God. Because you can't be uh, abundantly generous when, you're, when you can't take care of yourself. So we need to be uh, managing our home well. We need to be faithful stewards of God, be faithful givers so that God can entrust us with more so that we can help those in need. That's what the early church did. They took care of the orphans. They took care of the widows. They sold their property because they had that prosperity, that access to give to God's church and said, we're going to change our world. And they changed their world. You know why? Because in 2014, you and I are here in this room. So how many of you guys want to keep changing the world until Jesus comes back? Because he's coming back one day, and it's all going to be over. And the only thing that's going to last is our treasures that we stored up in heaven. So how many of you guys want your bank account in heaven to be full? Because everything on this earth is going to fade away. But all, the only thing that will remain is what can be made of eternal value. And that's our treasures being stored in heaven. And it's basically souls. Number three. Gave to anyone who had need. The needs of those in the church were met by those who could afford to give generously. Therefore, if everyone is poor, everyone will stay poor. However, if people prosper, say, I want to prosper. They can help the needy to be poor no more. Summary. Let's read the summary. Pray that God will prosper you so you can be generous and help others in need. I just want to thank Mount Show Praise because you guys have a heart of generosity. And we love that you guys have chosen our church to win Chicago and the nations for Jesus. Come on. Let's apply this to our life. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings. Anything you give after your tithe, that is an amount between you and the Lord. Number two, work hard and use wisdom to gain worldly wealth so you can be generous in giving to missions drug rehabs, community programs, orphanages, and the like. Number three, once you are prosperous, which is having enough to meet your needs and able to give generously, teach others how to be prosperous, for it is always better to give a hand up than just a hand out. A hand up brings people up with you. A hand out keeps them there. We're not giving out handouts. We're giving hand ups. We want people to be um, challenged and empowered to be all they could be for God. Amen. If you believe that with me, stand up to your feet with me this morning. And let's confess this over our life, our family, our city, in Jesus' name. Come on. On the count of three. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Come on. Amen. Yes, clap it up. Can't clap enough in Metro praise. Woo. We're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings at this time. And as you've already heard, our tithe is 10% of our total income. And our offerings go to two separate p places, missions and building. 
And so right now, you guys know, we're going to keep being faithful with our missions pledge to the end of the year, December. And we are believing that next summer, 2015, we will take this mission trip to the Philippines and preach the gospel, raise up children, uh, churches, and just see all that God wants to do in that nation. So we want to encourage you to keep being faithful with that missions pledge. Let's recite this. Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, your generosity. You gave first the best of the best for us so that we could live. And now we want to give you our best, God. I pray that you bless and prosper every single person here. Give them favor. Give them increase as they put you first. Faithful with their tithe that you would open doors for them that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open. Bless this offering this morning. Let it be used to reach and further your kingdom on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Please come forward as you give this morning. Come on, if you're ready for some hot topics, make some noise. Amen, amen. We're going to be learning today about Israel, and it's going to be really exciting. But before we do all that exciting stuff, I want to honor some of the greatest servants among us in this church. It is Pastor Appreciation Month, and we want to honor the Goiveas, Pastor Griselda Umberto. Would you come? We want to honor Pastor Jared and Susie. Jared, would you come? Susie is recovering from having their newest baby. The Hernandezes are youth pastors. Come on, elevate Pastor Ellie and Lilani. Come on up here. We're so thankful. Elevate. Are these guys doing awesome for you or what? Aren't they doing a wonderful job? And then our single mama's pastor also helping Lauren. I mean, also helping Nancy with SUM. Pastor Lauren Sienski, come on. We wanted to bless them and say a big thank you for everything that you guys have done. There's just a little a gift in there from the church to you guys. Uh, to me, these are the greatest servants of all. I mean, everybody serves, and I'm not supposed to have favorites. I understand that. 
but these are my favorites. I mean, they sacrifice so much for this church, and they do it lovingly. They do it lovingly, and and so often they do things that other people don't want to do. Like, for example, just fixing this carpet. Who has to come in Tuesday to watch the guy fix carpet? Pastor Ellie, he's going to be there. That's, you know, he's got to do that. You know, Berto, going and changing the lights during the middle of the week, they do that. Sometimes counseling you guys through your situations, they have to do that. How many think counseling could be hard sometimes? Think about how many problems you have and then multiply that upon this church and the people that have to deal with those problems. Isn't that that amazing? That's amazing. And then the youth pastors and then Jared, I mean, teaching 201 every single week. Isn't that just beautiful? Coming early, 730, opening up the church, preparing a lesson. And here's the thing that I want you guys to understand about this. It's volunteer. They're not paid any more than you're paid. But they got educated. They they went to Bible college and they said, you know what? We want to give this unto the Lord. We want to do this. And so I want to read a scripture. Would everybody turn there with me as I just kind of embarrass you guys a little bit longer? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. I want to encourage you guys today during this season of Pastor Appreciation Month to not lose your heart for the ministry, but to continue to love these people, to love God's people, and to believe God for more, more single moms, more youth and young people, more marriages and families, more 201ers, more evangelists. Now, as you're turning there, 1 Thessalonians 2.6 will be on the screen. Our church is a young church, and it reminds me very much of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus didn't have mighty, noble people in his followers. Uh, They were mostly young in their 30s or a little bit younger. The youngest one, John, was probably a teenager, and they were ordinary folks, and yet they turned the world upside down. And I think that when you come to a church like this, that's obviously a remodeled storefront, and, uh, you know, a pastor like myself, long hair, wearing shorts throughout the summer, and I wish I could still be wearing them today. Like, I really wish I could. You have no idea. I have a way around that, but you got to come next week to see how I'm getting around that in my dress code, okay? Just anyways. You give me a little you give me a little pity laugh. Thank you. See, that's why they're my favorite. See, they laugh when you guys don't. No, but anyways, like you know, when you come to a church like this and you're used to maybe going to a place like where there's priests or a place that's been around for a while, like the church I worked at here in the city before I started this church had been around for a hundred years. I mean, that's a long time. We're not even ten years old, you know what I'm saying? But when you come and you trust us. And you trust them, you know, and Berto and Griselda to marriage counsel you, or you trust them with uh, your teenagers. I can't tell you how much that honors me. That honors me. One of the biggest pet peeves of my personal life, and I know nobody here would do it, so we're talking about the empty seats, those that didn't come this morning. Okay, but the, one of the biggest pet peeves of my life is when people don't want to go to them and they only want to come to me. I cannot tell you how much that bothers me. These pastors started off better than I did. When I started off in ministry, I was not a part of a great church like this. I was a part of a, a struggling Bible college that didn't really have much going for. We were like the guinea pigs. I was the third graduating class, and I was never a part of a solid, growing ministry. Number two, I was never married as a pastor up until I met Nancy here in Chicago. So almost the first 10 years of ministry, I was single and had no kids. And then when I went to Bible college, I only had an associate degree. That means I I only went to school for two years. 
And so when I see someone Look at a pastor, Berto and Griselda, who are married, who have been raised up in this church, who have went and gotten a bachelor's degree, and then they just blow them off. No, i got to see you, pastor. You're my answer. You're my savior. I cannot tell you. I, words cannot tell. I really was almost crying when I was reading this. I cannot tell you how much that breaks my heart. I cannot tell you how much it grieves me on Facebook when somebody messages me and I go, hey, ask, ask, ask Pastor Lauren that. I'll get in touch with Pastor Burr. And then they get offended. Like, how dare you? How dare you? Don't you know you're my servant pastor? And whenever I come to you, I demand your service. And I demand it now. They're not good enough for me. That is literally how I hear it. That's how I feel it in my spirit. Because my success as a leader is determined upon their success as leaders. If Berto and Griselda cannot do marriage counseling like Nancy and I did marriage counseling, then I have failed. I have failed. When someone comes to me, it's like, they're not good enough. I have to have you. I am, am under the bondage of that criticism like a failure. When, when someone says that Lauren can't minister to another woman, it has to be Nancy, and it has to be now, and it has to be all that. It breaks my heart in a million pieces. When, when somebody thinks that Jared can't teach 201, when right now he's in seminary, I didn't go to seminary until I was in my late 30s. He's just in his mid-20s. And when someone says he can't do it as good, it just breaks my heart in a million pieces. It would be literally like you just putting my heart out right here and you're just smashing it. Because what it's saying is what I've given my life to, what these pastors have given their life to, is not good enough. But I want to tell you something. Every week, I sit down with them in my home, and they pastor Nancy and I. Together, they love me as I love them. I pour into them. They pour into me. We grow together. None of us is perfect. None of us has it all together. And we share the ministry. And each one of them will bring up your name. And that's why like, I can see a guy like Curtis today. And, and even though I got his face wrong, I didn't know him by face. I knew him by name. Because Pastor Berto talked about Curtis in the Bible study being faithful. And him giving his heart to Jesus. And then going going through the 101 and going to the 201. So when I walk in today, even though I've mistaken Curtis for somebody else, but when I walk in today and I finally find out who Curtis is, it's like I can say it and mean it. I've heard so many good things about you. Are you guys there in 1 Thessalonians 2.6? This is called a pastor appreciation rebuke. Now this is a pastor appreciation encouragement. Back to you guys. Sorry. Got a little distracted there. I feel better, though. I don't know. I just feel like there was such a load lifted off of my chest. I feel like I'll be getting less Facebook messages now. I feel like you'll be getting a lot more phone calls. Praise God. I just feel like that was accomplished. Look at this verse right here. And I say this for them. It says, we were not looking for praise from people. 
They're not looking for our praise. They're not here for just your praise, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could assert our authority. Now listen to this. Instead, we were like young children. Uh, you were like, we were like young children among you, just as nursing mother, a nursing mother cares for her children. When they're doing their job best, you will feel like Benjamin feels when he goes to Rachel to be breastfed. You will feel this nursing love all over you. So ask yourself this question, Metro Praise. Do you feel like they have nursed you from their teat? Do you feel like their spiritual milk has been given to you? I don't know. I mean, I didn't make the illustration as cult-like and crazy as it sounds. That is what it says. Anyways, I'm just kidding. Half kidding. It is getting hot now again. It gets so hot up here. I wonder why it gets so hot. It's moments like these. Now look at this. This is the serious part. Verse 8. So we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Isn't that the job of pastors? Isn't that what Nancy and I are supposed to do? Isn't that what they're supposed to do? Sharing our lives with you. And then now look at verse 9. Surely you remember, brother and sisters, our hardship, our toil. We work day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. I hope that you see that in these pastors. That they're saying to you, you don't have to pay me, but I'll be there when you need me. When there's a hospital visit, Pastor Berto goes, you don't have to pay him, he'll be there for you. He doesn't want to be a burden to you. He wants to be there for you. When you have a need in the youth ministry, Ellie's saying, hey, you don't have to pay me, young people, like you pay little Wayne to give you garbage in your ears and heart. You know, like that guy that you think supposedly likes you, but you have to pay him to like you. You know what I'm saying? Ellie says, I'll come for free and be there with you at your lunch break. I'll be there after school. Lilani will meet you somewhere and have a milkshake with you. She'll treat you out, right? I'm getting free milkshakes for the girls right now. And they'll tell you about Jesus. And not only that, not only will they say Jesus loves you, this is the gospel, here's, here's what the Bible means, but they'll share with you their life. And I believe that's what we do together as a church. That's what Nancy and I do together. So I just want to move this out the way. Would you all stand up with me, please? And I want us to pray for them then clap really loud for them, and then come up and shake their hands and say thank you. Amen. Can we do that today? Let's, let's pray. Come and stand in front. Don't be shy. Father, we thank you for the pastors that you've brought here. We thank you, God, that you started with my wife and I, and now you have multiplied. And, Lord, these that are here today working and laboring do so from their own heart. And I pray that this church will appreciate them. This church will honor them and see that they do it without pay. But yet they give not only their words but their whole life. 
And now, Lord, I pray that you will prosper them, all of them that are working jobs and all of them that are taking care of their families. God, I pray that they will be blessed to be a blessing, that you will supernaturally meet their needs. And that, Lord, together with my wife and I, this pastoral team, and then the governing elders, the deacons, the disciples, and even the visitors, Lord, we will be a representation to this community of your church not of a selfish organization. We won't be known for our building or our fountains. We won't be known for a good speaker or just the events that we have, but this place will be known because we love you and we love people. From the top down, from everybody in between, we love you and we love people. We serve you and we serve people. We make sacrifices for you and we make sacrifices for people. Let that be the cry of this heart. And Lord, I pray that the vision, the goal will be accomplished and that together with this team and those here today, that 100,000 just won't be a wish, God, but it will be an actuality, Lord, that we will see the reward of our labor in this nation and in the nations of the world that disciples will make disciples that will make disciples until you come back for your disciples it's in that I pray in that hope in that vision in that goal that we pray in the precious name of Jesus the great shepherd the great pastor of us all in his name Jesus and can everybody say amen amen let's give them a hand clap in the name of the Lord amen for what they do can you play some party music come on now and just shake their hand and tell them how happy you are for them tell them thank you come on put it up a little bit DJ make it exciting please Maybe you might want to take one of the pastors by the hand and dance with them. There you go. There we go. Thank you for telling them thank you. This is so beautiful. This is so beautiful. But we do need to move a little bit faster. This is so, this is so much fun, but we need to get it over with. Half kid, come on, shake their hands, love them. If you really want to tell them how much you love them, take them out to dinner, and then you can spill the beans. You can tell them how precious they are to you. 
Come on, keep the gospel train going. We got the best pastors, don't we? All right, thank you so much. Awesome. Hey, guys, open up your Bibles with me to Numbers chapter 24, verse 9. Numbers chapter 24, verse 9. Uh, Hoselito, would you grab that for me, please? We're going to be talking about Israel today. Everybody say Israel. Thank you, sir. Oh, today is going to be good. I'm going to be touching on Islam and the end times. This is two very controversial subjects, but man, I think it's going to be really powerful. Everybody say Israel. Thank you. Today is our second to last sermon in this series. Next week is the last one, and we're talking about eternal punishment. Now, I know it sounds a little bit morbid, but I want you to try to bring a friend next week because we're going to be talking about hell, and the bottom line is some people are going there. And we need to tell them about it. It's not a joke. It's not funny. You wouldn't want your worst neighbor to go there. So sometimes people go like, oh, go to hell. No, you would not want anybody to go to hell. You want people to go to heaven. Amen? So we're going to talk about that next week. And then I'm really excited because I'm starting a whole new series all the way to the end of the year called Your Identity in Christ. And it's going to be so exciting to know who God made you to be, what the Bible says about that, how to overcome setbacks in your life, and to really live out the Christian life. Life, not with uh, you know uh, low self-esteem and the spirit of failure, but with victory and power and love, knowing that God came to make you blessed. Amen. So just get ready because it's going to be really awesome. Are you with me in Numbers twenty-four verse nine? Okay, look at it right here. Also, our notes are online and the uh, Facebook page. If you got any questions, we're going to make sure if I don't cover it, you can ask a question on Facebook and I'll answer it at the end. Here it is, Numbers 24, 9. Like a lion, they crouch and lay down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse them? Talking about Israel. May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be what? 
be cursed. Okay, now quickly turn with me to Psalm 122, verse 6. 122, verse 6. Once again, we're talking about Israel. There's a promise in Numbers that those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be what? Cursed, okay? I'm just going quickly here now. Psalms 122, verse 6 in our notes. Pray for the peace of where? Jerusalem. Thank you. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. So for whose sake? My sake. Everybody say, my sake. See, for the sake of my family and friends, I will say to you, Jerusalem, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek your prosperity. You see very clearly here in Numbers and in Psalm that God takes Israel very serious. He will bless those who bless them. He will curse those who curse them. It's not just for their sake that you should bless them, Psalm says, but you should bless them for your sake and your family's sake. So it's very important the perspective that you have towards the nation of Israel. Does everybody get that? Now, many of you here don't understand the history of Israel. And Andrew, can I get that stool back there, please? So I got a quick little timeline for you to see in the notes, starting at 2000 B.C. So let's go ahead and put that up so everybody can do it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just want you to understand where Israel came from. Israel has its beginning in 2000 B.C. Now, does anybody know, thank you, when the world started as, as a Young earth creationists, we believe that the world is not millions and billions of years old. We don't believe in evolution. So who wants to shout out, when do we believe was the start date of humanity in all of creation? 4,000 B.C. That's when we believe God created the heavens and the earth, created Adam and Eve, and all of the things that came afterwards. A short time afterwards, uh, during that time, God judged the world through Noah, and then there was only eight people. During that time... Noah and his family started over again, and they became one nation, but because of sin, God separated them according to their languages, and that's where we then get different cultures. If you weren't here, we discussed why there are different supposed races, though there's really only one human race according to the Bible. There are different cultures, skin color, melatonin, right, in our, in our skin, different shapes of the eyes, different languages, but why was that? Because God separated us by our languages, and there in our language uh, uh, community, we shared the same genes, and those genes became a part of our identification over years. And I have all of that information on a previous uh, message. But now, a little time after that, there's now nations, okay? Abraham is a pagan, and he's walking around, and God chooses him to be the start of a new nation, of a place that God is now going to give his laws to, have prophets hear his voice and speak to the people of the world on behalf of him. And this nation is going to live in a certain land. It's going to possess a certain territory. Everybody say Abraham. Okay, thank you. So in Genesis 12, Abraham, around 2000 B.C., is given the promise of being a nation and occupying this land of Israel that we would see today. A few hundred years later, 
God leads Moses to bring the people out of Egypt. How many know uh, the years that the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt? How many know? 400 and what? 30 years. 430 years they were in bondage. Now, how did that happen? How did they get into Egypt? Well, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had his name changed to Israel, Israel had 12 children, more than that, but these 12 became the 12 tribes of Israel, and then a famine happened, and they moved out of the land of Israel to go to Egypt for a time period, and then during that time they were oppressed and not able to leave, so God raised up Moses so they could go back to their land. Now, in the time of 1406, how many years were they in the desert for because of their disobedience? 40 years. So from 1446 to 1406 B.C., 40 years, they were in the desert. It could have been just a few months traveling from Egypt to the Promised Land, but because of sin, God kept them in the desert. That's a little word for somebody here today. It's not God's fault that you are in some of the situations you're in. We find ourselves sometimes in the situations of our own making. Not that everything comes back to our fault, but there are some people here today, you are suffering, you're in a desert, and you're wondering why. And God said, I didn't plan that route, but you took it because of your disobedience. But if you'll be faithful, I'll take you out of the desert. How many want to get out the desert into the promised land? Amen. So if you find yourself wandering, what's the first thing you should do? Be obedient to God and say, lead me out of here, sweet Jesus. Amen. Amen. Unless you like being in the desert, okay? But that's not for me, okay? Now, now the desert may be nice in Arizona where we're going for Jerry's wedding in December, by the way. But we're not talking like that. Okay, amen. Had to just say that because I don't want to be hating on the desert folks in, you know, Arizona. Okay, now at 930 B.C., or excuse me, 1406 B.C., Joshua conquers the land. And what is the first city that the Israelites conquer to take back that land? What is that city called? Jericho. Everybody say Jericho. Now, how many times did they march around Jericho that last day for those walls to fall? How many? Seven times, seven times. So I guess we're having some fun right now. This is Sunday school for adults, right? Somebody's learning. Some of this is review. A short time after that, their first, the first king of Israel, the short time after they occupy the land, they have a king. Who was Israel's first king? Saul. Who was the second king? David. And who was after that? Solomon. Then what happened after Solomon, the kingdoms split apart. And I don't have time to get into that, but you can look at 1 Kings 12. It talks about the problems that Israel faced, and they split into what was known as the northern and the southern kingdom. Now, does anybody know where Jerusalem was? Was it in the northern or southern kingdom? Southern kingdom, correct. Now, in 722, the Assyrians invaded the northern tribes, which were the majority of the tribes, 10 of them, and took them captive. Samaria was their capital, and the Bible says through prophetic word, if you don't listen, you will be judged. And the first of the tribes to be judged was the northern kingdom, and Assyria takes them over. Does anybody know the capital city of Assyria? That's an important part of our story in the Bible. Damascus was the capital, was it not? Uh, No, no, Nineveh, me and the Bible scholar are having a little discussion. Nineveh, check it online right now. Nineveh, if that was the capital of Assyria. Does anybody remember who went to Nineveh? Jonah. See, those folks ended up taking us all over because we did not obey, uh, the Israelites rather, did not obey God. A few 
hundred years later, the Babylonians take over the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was and two of the tribes, and then the first temple that Solomon had built was destroyed. Now, who were four famous people that were Jewish people and were taken out of Israel, brought to Babylon to live? Does anybody know those four famous people? Daniel. Yes, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go now to live in Babylon. Now, here's something to understand. Look up this. Look up there, please. Four, uh, 586 B.C. was the last time Israel ruled their own land until 1948. So we're going to talk about the end times and prophecy and a lot of important things, but you've got to understand the significance of this. This was the last time they ruled their land and had control of Jerusalem until 1948. But let's see what kept happening with the people. And a a few years later, 537 B.C., they returned back to the land under Persian rule with Nehemiah and the others to rebuild the second temple and live there. But remember, from this point forward, they never are the controllers of their own destiny. They are an occupied land. For the next uh, few hundred years, they're ruled by Persia, 322 and onward, ruled by the Greeks. Then at 164, we have the Jewish Maccabean rule. Now, what famous Jewish holiday came out of this when the Jewish people revolted and did possess, I should say, the land a, a rulership just for a short time? What famous holiday? Hanukkah. So correct me, uh, let me correct myself. They did rule their land again. After this, they never ruled it because then they were conquered by the Romans and then Jesus was born. Now, who crucified Jesus? The Romans. So now you understand Roman rule, right? So around 30 AD, Jesus is crucified, buried, raised from the dead, ascends to heaven. But before he does, he makes a prophecy in what book of the Bible? The main one, Matthew what? What chapter? 24. And what does he say about the temple? What's going to happen to it? It's going to be destroyed. So 40 years after Jesus' life, the prophecy he said was fulfilled. That temple was destroyed, 70 AD. And you can see that. It says Matthew 21, but that should be Matthew 24. So I was just uh, tricking you and myself there. So it should say Matthew 24. Now watch this. From that time of them having their second temple destroyed, and by the way, they still don't have one, up until 1948, they lived under oppressive rulership. The Romans, the Byzantines, the Ottomans, who were Muslims, and then the British, okay? But all that time, they had a presence there. Now, what makes 1948 significant to how Israel gets a nation? Hitler tried to exterminate them in what was called the final solution. Now, we don't have time to get into this, but you get a picture of it in those scriptures that I read. Cursed are those who curse you. So why did Hitler, out of all the people to pick on, pick on the Jewish people? Because Satan had a plan of destruction for these people because they are God's chosen people and this nation has been promised to him, uh, to them. So if he can uh, falter that plan, make that plan fail, he can make God break his word. 
So that's why he fights against them. But what the devil meant for harm, God used for good. And after the Holocaust, the United Nations with the British people said, let us give the Jewish people their own land. And the British people gave the Jewish people their own land again. And from that time, May 14, 1948, Jewish people have been gathering back into that homeland with Jerusalem as their capital. And Isaiah eleven twelve around the time of the Assyrian captivity, look what Isaiah says. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. From the four corners of the earth. So watch. It took almost 2,000 years for that promise to come to pass. But it did. Was Nineveh the capital of Assyria? Let's give it up for Pastor Joe knowing what he's saying. I'm just kidding. Oh, come on. Okay, now let me give you a summary of it so you don't get bored here because I do want to keep you engaged until I get to some of the practical things. Let's give you the perspective. Number one, there's a promise. Everybody say promise. promise. Guys, can you keep up with me, please? Got a lot to cover. The promise is God gave it to Abraham. Boom. That's a biblical statement. It's in the Bible. Number two, God defined the borders of the land in Genesis 15. So scroll up real quick so they can see the picture. These are the actual borders that God promised Abraham. In the middle of this, you see what's in Israel today, but in actuality, get the whole picture. Scroll down just a smidgen so they can see the top edge, please, the top edge of that, uh, the land. See, you can see it even goes all the way up there into Turkey, Syria. And the two uh, border lines that uh, God spoke was the Nile, which is there in Egypt, all the way to the Euphrates, which comes down through Syria and Iraq. Somebody say defined. So there you have what God defined as their land. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, can I get some water, man? I don't know what's going on with me today. Pray for me. Number three, forever. Everybody say forever. God said that this would be a promise that would not be broken. Now, there are even some Christians today, believe it or not, I don't know how they do this, but they do. They don't believe that modern-day Israel is the Israel that God wants to bless. They believe something that I believe is actually silly, but it's, it's more than silly. It's harmful. It's wrong. They believe in something. Thank you, sir. They believe in something that's called replacement theology. Everybody say replacement theology. Which is when the church became established, that they became the Israel of the Bible. And so what that would mean, falsely, but it would mean this to them, is that now we are Israel. So whenever you see promises in the Old Testament to Israel, you would cut out literal Israel and you would insert the church spiritually. You would say, now all believers are God's chosen people. We come from the seed of Abraham. So when God talks about blessing Israel, he's really talking about blessing Christians. When he's talking about giving land to Israel, he's really talking about giving land to Christians. It's kind of prideful if you think, you know. A Christian doctrine called replacement theology that basically cuts the Jews out of their land based on what Christians say. And if it wasn't so horrific, it would be hilarious, but it is horrific. Because this caused, and I have to say this, this is true, it caused the Roman Catholic Church during the time of the Inquisitions not only to kill us Protestants, but to also kill the Jewish people and began to murder them because they called them the murderers of Jesus. And do you know that when Germany 
began to make its um, a stand against the Jewish people, they used some of the church's writings against Jewish people and made it even a Christian doctrine, almost very similar to people saying that slaves in Africa could be owned because they didn't possess a soul. So it was that same false religious demonic mindset that led even to the Holocaust by Hitler saying, hey, even the Christians said they aren't good people. Let's kill them. And I don't have time to get all into that. And then lastly, the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. Now turn quickly with me to Romans eleven twenty six. God has promised them that they will be saved as a nation. There is only one promise in the entire Bible for a nation to be saved. Now, we believe that God loves all the nations and that God can save nations. So I believe God can save America. I believe he can, right? I believe that we can all convert and come to Jesus. I believe that God can save Mexico or Canada or any other nation. But there's only one place in the Bible where a nation is said that God is going to save the whole nation and it's promised. And guess what nation that is? Israel. Here it is. Look at starting in verse uh, chapter 11, verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be what? Saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. Remember, that's Jacob is also another name for Israel because his name was changed to that. And this is my covenant when I take away their sins. So let's just get a little bit of end times understanding. How do I think this is going to work? Number one, Jewish people need to be saved now, just like uh, anybody needs to be saved. So they can't look to this promise and go, well, you know, I'll wait for Jesus, the Messiah, to come and save me, and I'm not going to do much now until then. They don't know when Jesus is going to come, and if they die before then without Jesus, they're going to go to hell. That's the first thing. Jewish people need Jesus like everybody. Uh, Number two, Jesus and all the writers of the Bible are Jewish. So a lot of times when people ask me, well, what should Jewish people do right now? Like as if there's something really crazy they have to do. They need to do what every other Jewish person who followed Jesus did. They need to do what Jesus, the great Jewish leader, did. You get what I'm saying? So sometimes because we're non-Jewish Christians, we divorce Jesus from his Judaism. We divorce in our mind Paul from his Judaism, Peter from his Judaism. So what do Jews need to do today? They need to do what Paul did. They need to do what Peter did. They need to do what James did. You get what I'm saying? So number one, Jews need to be saved. Number two, Jews get saved like anybody else gets saved, and they can look to the Bible for examples on how to get saved. And then number three, when the end times comes, and I don't have time to go through all the timeline here, but when the end times comes, The battle, Armageddon, is all based on Israel and them trying to destroy Israel with the Antichrist. God will save Israel and have mercy on that generation, and they will all confess Jesus as their Messiah. Now, what is the difference between us and them today? Number one, we have the same Old Testament that they have. The Tanakh, the 39 books of the Old Testament, is exactly to the Jewish Old Testament. But why aren't all Jewish people, Christians like us, accepting Jesus and then accepting the New Testament? They don't believe Jesus is their Messiah. Now, the biggest disagreement that they have over over whether or not Jesus is the Messiah is based on what we would say as Christians is, is a misunderstanding of the Messiah's return or the Messiah's coming. They believe that the Messiah was only going to do one thing, Come, destroy all of God's enemies, make Jerusalem his capital, and rule through Israel. 
they did not see that Jesus would come, the Messiah rather, would come and die for sins and bring Gentiles into that kingdom. So when Jesus was walking the earth, this is a lot of the confusion that the disciples have with Jesus. They keep asking him, Jesus, when is your kingdom coming? Because remember, he said, pray that my kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. So in the Jewish mindset, the kingdom of God was literally the Messiah fighting a battle like David. You remember David and Goliath type stuff, literally fighting a battle and then saying, I have conquered the nations. Israel now is, belongs to us and the Jewish people and the rest of the world is going to basically perish. The best of the world will not be blessed. That's not good news because you and I are not Israel. You and I are not Jewish. So they stumbled on that, and they didn't understand that Jesus was going to come first to die for the sins of the whole world so that everybody could become a child of God, and then the gospel could be preached to all the world. And as the gospel is being preached, the world population is getting bigger, so we're getting the most amount of people ever. Are you guys with me? Like it's a larger number. Like when Jesus came and all he did was establish Jerusalem as the center and destroy the rest of the world, there probably would have been 10 million people there, like 10 million Jews, maybe if not even that. Now today, when Jesus comes, if you, let's say he would come right now and rule and reign, there would probably be about a billion Christians alive right now, a billion compared to 10 million back then. Are you with me? And there's probably maybe a billion that have already gone to heaven through the 2,000 years of human history. So do you understand there's, it's, there's a great advantage of God to say, hold on, Jewish people, before I kill everybody, let me bring 2 billion of them into the kingdom. Now, to the Christians, okay, it's like two of you guys got it. Thank you, SUM students, okay? Two billion is better than 10 million, right? Okay. Now, that is the part that they debate over. They, they think, no, Jesus wouldn't do this. Jesus wouldn't do that. You know, I mean, the, I keep saying Jesus as the Messiah, but they don't think he's the Messiah, so I'll say the proper term. They would say, no, the Messiah would not die. The Messiah would not want two billion unbelievers in this kingdom. The Messiah is only the Messiah of the Jewish people. Now, I know that's an oversimplification, but that is the best way I can un- uh, help you understand to why today there are still Jewish people who have not accepted Jesus. But there are many that are, and as a matter of fact, what I'm hearing from others is that, um, like Jewish believers like Dr. Michael Brown, is that we're seeing the greatest revival among the Jewish people in this time right now. And one of the major reasons for that is, is because Christians are the number one supporters of Israel. It was Christians that fought in World War II. The dominant religion in World War II was Christian. The dominant people today that support Israel are Christians. Christian churches and organizations that support Israel are Christians. And so now the Jewish people are forgiving us of our past. They're forgiving us of the things we did wrong. And they're now realizing that there is a partnership between Christians and Jewish people. Now, some of them just think that's just a great partnership, but others of them are beginning to understand why there's that partnership, because the Messiah is really living in us. The Messiah is really giving us a heart for them. You guys get what I'm saying? So now what I want to do is I want to play this video so you can get caught up. That's the past. Does everybody understand, understand the past? Okay, now I want to get you caught up to what's happening right now in the present. Why is there so many problems in the Middle East right now and have been since 1948? I'm going to get you there. Berto, would you hit off these lights? And as they're getting ready to hit off the lights, let me just help you understand this. When Israel became a nation, things changed in the Middle East. 
as things changed in the Middle East, things have now changed around the entire world. So let me just put it to you, because I'm going to be quoting Osama bin Laden here in just a moment, and why what's going on with ISIS. You're going to get all that today. But I have to let you hear this statement before we do. Because the Bible says, those who curse you will be cursed, those who bless you will be blessed, you will see that in the Bible, Israel is the calendar of heaven. And as it goes with Israel is the way it's going to go with the entire world. You get that? So what's going on right now in the Middle East is not an accident. The reason why our nation, the largest nation of the world, has been so heavily into the Middle East is because of Israel. It is all because of Israel. The reason why ISIS is doing what it's doing, its roots go back to Israel. Everything, what the Antichrist will do in the end times, goes back to Israel. And this will explain it to you in a real short way that I'm going to give you some more Bible verses. Are you guys ready? Come on, let's listen to it. Enjoy it. When I did my graduate studies at the Middle East Institute at Columbia University's School of International Affairs, I took many courses on the question of the Middle East conflict. Semester after semester, we studied the Middle East conflict as if it was the most complex conflict in the world, when in fact, it is probably the easiest conflict in the world to explain. It may be the hardest to solve, but it is the easiest to explain. In a nutshell, it's this. One side wants the other side dead. Israel wants to exist as a Jewish state and to live in peace. Israel also recognizes the right of Palestinians to have their own state and to live in peace. The problem, however, is that most Palestinians and many other Muslims and Arabs do not recognize the right of the Jewish state of Israel to exist. This has been true since 1947, when the United Nations voted to divide the land called Palestine into a Jewish state and an Arab state. The Jews accepted the United Nations partition, but no Arab or any other Muslim country accepted it. When British rule ended on May 15, 1948, the armies of all the neighboring Arab states, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Transjordan, and Egypt, attacked the one-day-old state of Israel in order to destroy it. But to the world's surprise, the little Jewish state survived. Then it happened again. In 1967, the dictator of Egypt, Gamal Abdel Nasser, announced his plan, in his words, to destroy Israel. He placed Egyptian troops on Israel's border, and armies of surrounding Arab countries were also mobilized to attack. However, Israel preemptively attacked Egypt and Syria. Israel did not attack Jordan and begged Jordan's king not to join the war. But he did. And only because of that did Israel take control of Jordanian land, specifically the West Bank of the Jordan River. Shortly after the war, the Arab states went to Khartoum, Sudan, and announced their famous three no's. No recognition, no peace, and no negotiations. What was Israel supposed to do? Well, one thing Israel did a little more than a decade later in 1978 was to give the entire Sinai Peninsula, an area of land bigger than Israel itself and with oil, back to Egypt because Egypt, under new leadership, signed a peace agreement with Israel. So Israel gave land for the promise of peace with Egypt and it has always been willing to do the same thing with the Palestinians. 
All the Palestinians have ever had to do is recognize Israel as a Jewish state and promise to live in peace with it. But when Israel has proposed trading land for peace, as it did in 2000, when it agreed to give the Palestinians a sovereign state in more than 95% of the West Bank and all of Gaza, the Palestinian leadership rejected the offer and instead responded by sending waves of suicide terrorists into Israel. Meanwhile, Palestinian radio, television, and school curricula remain filled with glorification of terrorists, demonization of Jews, and the daily repeated message that Israel should cease to exist. So it's not hard to explain the Middle East dispute. One side wants the other dead. The motto of Hamas, the Palestinian rulers of Gaza, is, we love death as much as the Jews love life. There are 22 Arab states in the world, stretching from the Atlantic Ocean to the Indian Ocean. There is one Jewish state in the world, and it is about the size of New Jersey. In fact, tiny El Salvador is larger than Israel. Finally, think about these two questions. If tomorrow Israel laid down its arms and announced, we will fight no more, what would happen? And if the Arab countries around Israel laid down their arms and announced, we will fight no more, what would happen? In the first case, there would be an immediate destruction of the state of Israel and mass murder of its Jewish population. In the second case, there would be peace the next day. As I said at the outset, it is a simple problem to describe. One side wants the other dead. And if it didn't, there would be peace. Please remember this. There has never been a state in the geographic area known as Palestine that was not Jewish. Israel is the third Jewish state to exist in that area. There was never an Arab state, never a Palestinian state, never a Muslim or any other state. That's the issue. Why can't the one Jewish state the size of El Salvador be allowed to exist? That is the Middle East problem. I'm Dennis Prager. Come on, everybody, say amen. Now, of course, there's always two sides to a discussion. Some people may not agree with that, but I don't have time to get into all of the other issues. So forgive me right now as I just read from my notes, because if I tried to ad-lib off of my notes, I'll literally be here till 3 in the afternoon. So I'm going to keep your attention, but let me just ad-lib, I mean, I'll read here instead of ad-lib. Islam is the main reason... This is what I was told you I was going to bring up today, Islam, and this is not from a, a newbie in Islam. I've been studying it for a while, wrote a book on it, and I have a lot of quotes here, so I want you to follow this. Islam is the main reason why there is conflict in the Middle East, because they believe they should conquer the world. See, most people think Islam is an ancient religion like Judaism. It is not. Christianity even predates Islam by over 500 years. Israel predates Islam by over 3,000, 4,000 years. Are you guys with me? It's not even close. Islam came many years later, but their agenda was to conquer the world. Now, if you don't believe me, listen to this. Surah 2, 191. 
and slay them whenever you catch them and turn them out from where they have turned you out. For tumult and oppression are worse than slaughter. But fight them not at the sacred months during Ramadan unless they fight you there. But if they fight you, slay them. Such is the reward of those who suppress the faith. So Islam becomes a faith around 500 A.D. with these marching orders. Okay, it is not uh, the Muslim you're meeting today at your local grocery store or your friend. This is the Islam of Muhammad, okay? So what people call today extremism was normal Islam for Muhammad. This is how Muhammad started. He, he was a new religion. There was nobody oppressing him. He began to then start fighting under these rules to take over the, the, the known world. What ISIS is doing today is not outside of normal Islam. See, what people want to say is look at the 90% of Muslims because only 10% believe what ISIS is doing is okay. Which, by the way, out of 1.2 billion Muslims, 10% is 120 million. Okay? Even if it's 120 million only believe what this is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The ones who do believe this are the right ones. And that is because they are following what Muhammad exactly told them to do. Now, let me just explain. I'm already at a limit. ISIS, ISIS is not some new invention. This is normal Islam. The man who leads ISIS is not a dummy. As a matter of fact, Gallup Poll says, those who are a part of these branches are way more educated than the other branches. And the man who is leading this specific branch of ISIS has his doctorate in Islamic studies. Are you listening to me? People on CNN don't know Islam better than him. He knows Islam. He knows exactly what he is doing and where it comes from. But that's why there's been conflict there since earlier on. Now, Surah 166 says, concerning Jewish people, listen to what Allah says concerning Jewish people in Surah 7, 166. So when they were insolent about which they had been forbidden, we said to them, be apes despised. So according to the Quran written around 600 AD, because the Jewish people had sinned and did bad things and got invaded by Assyrian Babylon, Allah says they're now apes to you. They are despised. That's in the Quran. That's not just made up. Are you listening? Okay. I'm looking at some of your faces. You're either bored or you're shocked, but either way, i got to get through this, okay? So don't be in a hurry. And remember, we learned about trying to be in a hurry for Bears games. It doesn't help anything, okay? Are the Bears playing today? All right, there's no hurry. No, no hurry to watch them lose. And, and no, I'm just kidding. Okay. <clears throat> and, oh, and by the way, I mean, if you have more important things to do than talk about why our country's about ready to go to war, I mean, I guess you got to go do what you got to do. You know, I say, well, Pastor, i got to go get something to eat. You know, you're just sitting here talking about why my uncle or brother's about ready to go to war. I think we need to stop and listen to this for a minute, right? This is why we're about ready to go to war, and I have a Marine friend that's already at my gym. They're getting ready to deploy, and we don't know how far or how long, but it's about ready to happen again. Muslims believe in Sahih Muslim. Now, what most people don't understand is the, Bi- uh, the Bible is a standalone book. The Quran is not a standalone book. You have to have the Hadith to understand the Quran. The Hadith is a written commentary of Muhammad's life and interpretations and the companions of the Quran. So it's like if you read the Quran by itself, you won't know the situations that are happening. It's not written as a narrative. You know, like our Bibles, like Jesus went here, spoke to these people and said this. No, in the Quran, it just has statements, almost like Proverbs, you know, just this, this, and this, do this and this. And you wouldn't know where he was standing when he said that. You wouldn't know who he was talking to. So the Hadith is the complement 
to the Quran that says this is what he was doing when he said X, Y, and Z. And this is not my opinion. This is Islamic opinion. You need the hadith to understand the Quran. One of the hadiths is called Sahih Muslim, book 41, and number 6,985. Muhammad said this, The last hour will not come unless the Muslims will fight against the Jews and the Muslims will kill them until the Jews would hide themselves behind a stone or a tree and the stone or tree would say, Muslim or servant of Allah, there is a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. But the tree Garquad will not say that for that is the tree of the Jews. So all the other trees other than this thorn bush in the end times are going to say, kill all the Jews and if he's hiding behind me, come and get him. Now, you might say to yourself, I don't know, that doesn't sound like peaceful Islam to me. That doesn't sound, well, well, who understands Quran? Osama bin Laden understood the Quran. The leader of ISIS understood the Quran. See, they look to those other 90% of Muslims like how we Christians look to the Catholic Church, like you're backslidden, you don't know what you're doing, you don't even read your own book. That's how they look at it, you understand. When they come in and start doing their debates and their forums and the masjids and the, and the mosques, they convince the other Muslims. They convince them. They convert them to this form of Islam because it is the form of Islam of Muhammad. Okay? So think of it like this. The more I'm like Jesus, the more I turn my cheek. The more I'm like Muhammad, the more I want to conquer the world. You see? So if a Muslim says, I don't want to conquer the world, he's not doing that because he's got that from the Quran or from Islam. He's got that because he's adopted our Western principles. He likes America. He likes the, the West. He likes democracy. And that's why he's adopting that. He's not doing that because of what Sharia law taught, which is what Muhammad taught in the Hadith. What Sharia is, the rule of faith for the people, it's not because of that. It's because of something else. You understand? Okay. So Osama bin Laden in his fatwa, which is a a religious ruling, listen to the name of his fatwa. Listen to the name of this happy article. Jews against, uh, excuse me, jihad against Jews and crusaders. What religion do you think the crusaders are? Christians. So in Osama bin Laden's mind, the mastermind behind 9-11 is in his mind, what is he doing? Exactly what the Hadith told him to do. Exactly what the Quran told him to do. He is going to fight until all of them are killed. He is going to fight and bring in the last days. He is going to kill all of these people. That is what he's going to do. And what does he say is our obligation or the obligation of Muslims? To kill the Americans and their allies. I got the links here so you can, listen, you can read it yourself. Civilians and military is an individual duty for every Muslim. Because of the following three reasons. Here's three reasons why you had to follow this man and his teachings, Osama bin Laden, as he interpreted the Quran. The United States has been occupying the lands of Islam in the holiest of places, which would be Saudi Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula, plundering its gas. Number two, the Crusader Zion Alliance. So do you see how Muslims instantly put us with Jewish people and call us an alliance? Because in 1948, who do you think was the biggest backing behind the Jewish state? Who do you think has been the greatest ally to the Jewish state? America. So to them, we are now part of that problem. It says they are trying to repeat the horrific massacres all wars raised against, Mus- uh, against Muslims waged against them since 1948 to the Iraqi war. That's what he was referring to. Number three, now watch. He says, here's the three reasons why we as Muslims are going to kill Americans, civilians, I- anybody. It does not matter. Here's why. 
the American aims behind these wars and economic things, their aim is to serve the Jews' petty state and divert attention from its occupation of Jerusalem and murder of Muslims there. So what, what did he say? He said the only reason why they're in the Arab places, the only reason why they're having all these wars is because they're supporting Israel. That's why they're doing it, and that's why we're going to kill them, and we're going to kill their civilians. Number five. So according to Osama bin Laden, the main reason the U.S. was doing one and two is because they support Israel. Therefore, according to many Muslims, there can never be peace in the Middle East until Israel and her allies are destroyed. Now remember the Bible says, cursed are those who curse you. Blessed are those who bless you. So we're blessing Israel, but the enemies of Israel are now saying we're going to kill Israel and we're going to kill you. Now, the Hamas group is a terrorist group in Palestine. Now, let me just help you understand this. Palestine was named that by the Romans when the Jewish people lived there. Islam did not become even a religion until 500 years later, and then Arab people started living in Israel. But Israel was always named Israel, whether the Romans changed the name or not. If China invaded us and called this place Beijing, would that change what this place is to us? No. Do you guys understand? The Romans changed Israel's name to Palestine to insult them as they destroyed their temple. And then 500 years later, Arabs come to the region and start living there. And they're... They lived with everybody else. I mean, we're not racist. We don't believe that there's an oppression. You know, we don't believe Jews should oppress uh, uh, Palestinians or Arabs who live there. But that is the history of it. So that's why he was saying there was never a Palestinian state. But now watch. The Muslims want to stake the claim of that land because it's a holy land to them. So they're saying to the Arabs who live there, that's not fair that the Jewish people got their own state. You need to declare your own state. You understand? And that's where the conflict comes in. And I'll show you. Just scroll up so I can show you the picture right now. Here are the lands that the Muslims have conquered, as you have seen. All of the Arabs who were living in Israel, if they did not want to live in Israel, could pick any of the green states to go live in. They could pick Syria. They could pick Jordan. They could pick Egypt. But you know what? Most of these nations do not even let them come live there. They want them to stay there and be a thorn in Israel. And Israel is the red dot. Now, remember, Islam started in the 6th century, 500 A.D. So how do you think Israel got occupation of Turkey? How do you think Israel, uh, Muslims rather got occupation of Egypt? Egypt was a Christian land. It, Iran was a Christian land through wars. It wasn't until in the Crusades. So when people talk about the Crusades, yeah, it was a crazy time. But both sides were crazy because the, if the Christians would not have stopped them up there into Spain, into Italy, they would have kept going. If the people in India would not have stopped them when Nancy and I were in um, Delhi, you can see the mosque in Delhi. They would, if the Indian people wouldn't have stopped them, they would have kept going into India. If the people wouldn't have stopped them in China, they would have kept going. So scroll up to the top, and we'll just close this out. What did Hamas say? Who's there right now? This is their charter, number six. Article seven of Hamas says this. The final hour will not come until Muslims fight against the Jews and Muslims kill them, until the Jews hide behind every rock and a stone or tree cries out, O Muslim, servant of Allah, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. This Islamic resistant, the Islamic resistant movement, Hamas, looks forward to implementing Allah's promise no matter how long it takes. That's Article 7. 
Like we have articles of our constitution, that's their constitution. We will kill them until the last days come, until there's no more of them. Now, some of you, I got to end here. I got to end in just a moment. But I know some of you are wrestling right now because you've gone to Chicago University or you've talked to your friend, you've watched CNN, and you're really asking yourself, is it like this? What I have to say to you is, yes, it is. And go back to an ISIS video and remind yourself that is why they're doing what they're doing. It is this bad. It is this crazy. And people in Israel live with it right now. Some of you young people, you were out at a, at, a, at a restaurant last night. Young Israelis go to those clubs. Suicide bombers dressed as young little girls come in there and blow the whole club up. It's happening right now. This is not a game. This is not a joke. My um, nephew, Army, died in Afghanistan. Correct, Mom? My mom is there. We're, we're going to fight this war again and again and again. Now, I'm going to get to the good part, but you have to understand, it is not Joe's exaggeration. This is not me putting words in Hamas's mouth. I have the source. And look at Article 8 of their source, I mean, of their, uh, of their uh, agenda. Allah is its goal, the prophets its model, and Quran its constitution. Jihad its path, and death for the case of Allah is its most sublime belief. So do you think we're going to negotiate? Do you think there's going to be a peace treaty? Do you think until Jesus comes back and establishes Jerusalem as the center of the world, do you think this is going to stop? This will not stop. The only thing we can do is like what Phil Robertson said, is we can pray for their conversion or for their death. That's it. Because until they convert or die, it is going to be a bloodbath in the Middle East. And I'm not here to get into politics, but George Bush said it clearly. If we pull out of Iraq too soon, the terrorist groups will establish a state here. And that is exactly what they're doing. And they're following the Quran literally. They're following Sharia law literally. And they're putting it in their goals. And this is exactly what they're doing. And if any American is caught, they're beheading them. It is not to them, again. And they're recruiting Westerners to go fight with them. They have posters and videos online for young adults to come join them. One of them has kids, uh, the young adults, holding AK-47s, and they say, this is our call of duty, and we'll respond in Jemna, in heaven. And that's how they're recruiting. They're saying, stop playing with guns on TV. Come fight for justice. That's the truth. So you want to know why we're in the problem we're in? It's because it's all about Israel. It's all about what God said would happen. Now watch here. Go to the end. Does, is anybody giving me some patience today? Amen. Let's go to the end, end times. Maybe we'll put a little piano up here. Um, Vinny, would you come make it sound a little bit nicer? Now, th- th- I just don't have time to get into all of this. I got all the resources. This, this literally, this hot topic took more study than all the studies. My, my wife watched me. I, I put in almost eight straight hours, and I just felt like I had just scratched the surface. I mean, and I've been spending all week thinking about it, but literally just writing it down. Islam, this is the thing you've got to grasp here, okay? Islam believes in a world ruler called the Mahdi, the Mahdi that will come with Jesus and establish Islam as a world religion and rule from Jerusalem. So do you understand that passage in the Hadith that says, the, the, the rock, the trees will cry out and say, there's a Jew behind me? That's in the context of their battle of Armageddon. Now watch this. Their battle of Armageddon is just like ours, but on the opposite side. Our battle of Armageddon is happening where? Right by Israel. As 300 million people are attacking Israel, Jesus comes down and saves Israel. 
Where is their end time story? Jesus is coming back. They believe Jesus comes back with this person named Mahdi, and then they destroy Israel. Look at number two. Muslims believe there will be a seven-year rule of the Mahdi. He will behead non-Muslims. Beheading is very key to the end times. The cause of death for Christians in the end times when the Antichrist is here is what? Beheading. Now, many of you might have grew up like me in the suburbs or somewhere nice, and when you were reading Revelation as a young person, you might have thought of beheading as just like, what? Like, what? Like, what? Like, where is that going to come into wartime? I mean, how many of you can relate? Maybe a few of you. Just you were naively reading that because I remember, I'm just identifying my story. It's like I read it and I'm just like beheading. And literally, the kind of beheading I thought about was like you putting your head in a gallows and that thing coming down like, no, 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 no. The beheading is a dull blade. And I don't say do this, but because I study and I want to be informed, I have watched the actual videos when they hold them back and they start digging in and the person is screaming or they're bound and they're just groaning and then the blood starts coming and then it doesn't happen instantly. They then have to continue to go through it and then there's all of that nerves and uh, your, your spinal cord and, and they're continually sawing through it and it's a mess. It is meant to strike terror. It is meant to put fear into your heart. And that's what they're thinking their good guy is going to do when he comes back. So is it any wonder Iran and those who are in Islamic State in Iran are preparing for the same thing? What will happen, I don't have time to get into this right now, is what will happen in the end times, it's just very simple. The Antichrist and Muslim states will join together to destroy Israel. It's that simple. Communism and Islam go hand in hand. They, Ottoman Empire, was on the side of the axis of evil in World War II. So right now, Iran is deciding whether or not they want to get involved in ISIS. Ah, do we want to do the caliphate your way or Ayatollah's way? You know, do we want to do it? You know, it's like a little difference. But as the end gets near, they're all going to join with the same goal. And communism will go with that goal. So here we go. They believe in the Mahdi coming back with Jesus, establishing in Islam, ruling from Jerusalem, seven years, beheading, slaughtering Jews, taking back the land. Number three, what is strikingly interesting and even a bit nerve-wracking or one sense, I'm not scared, but it's just crazy, is that their description of the Mahdi is exactly like our Antichrist. And what they call Jesus is exactly like what we call the false prophet. Because the Mahdi, you got to understand, Jesus is just one of many to them. Jesus is not, a, he's important, but he's not like the best of the best, okay? So when Mahdi comes back, Jesus starts performing miracles with him, pointing to Mahdi and saying, we need to follow this guy. But when the Antichrist comes, starts beheading people, the false prophet starts doing miracles going, follow this guy. Hello. Therefore, because of Satan's deception, and also we share in time related events, so much of it's similar. You've got to understand they came after us, and yet the devil's deceiving. They took this plan and are convinced that that's what it has to be. However, praise God. Somebody say, however. Because I believe, and we're here to state this today, the fig tree of God is Israel. God will stop this 
assault against Israel. And he will come back and rescue them at the battle of Armageddon. And so right now we need to pray that this little fig tree, as the end times are coming upon us, and the Bible says as it starts to grow, we know the time is near. As we're watching this fig tree grow, we need to pray for its safety, pray for its blessing, and pray that God will save the Muslim nations and that then we would be ready to meet Jesus because the end is coming near. In closing, what are three things we can do? Number one, pray for Jews to come to their Messiah. Of course, pray for everybody to come to Jesus. Everybody come to Jesus. But, you know, pray for them in this, in this topic. Pray for them. Pray for Muslims. Pray for Jewish people. Number two, pray for the safety of Israel. Let's believe God that our prayers can make a difference. Even though we know it's going to get bad, let's believe our prayers can make a difference. And then help Muslims see Christ and Christianity, which sounds like a good title of a book that somebody should write. And then if somebody wrote a book called that, somebody should probably read that. That's a book I wrote on Islam. Check it out. Understand what we're talking about. In closing, before I get to the questions, and I thank you for your patience today, Ezekiel, one of these prophets, during the time of the Babylonian captivity, Isaiah was for Assyria in captivity, Ezekiel here is for the Babylonian captivity. He said, for I will take you out, God is speaking here, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle you clean with water, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Can this apply to Christians? Sure it can. You can apply it to Christians, but who is it written to? Jewish people, Israel. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It is true, a lot of Jewish people don't do good things. Israel's not always innocent in how they treat people, and many of them are lost because they do have a hard heart. Some of them are angry at Christianity, but God says, I want to take that hard heart out of you. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Does anybody here want to be on the side of Israel? Does anybody here want to do what God wants to do? That would be our prayer for them. Amen? And once again, I want to, I want to say one more time, in all humility, because I know we have friends here that can relate to the Islamic background, I love Muslims. I love them. I love them. I dearly love them. I wrote a book for them. I spend time with them. One of the best places that our, our books are being read right now is actually in Pakistan. Uh, I, I just can't tell you how much I'm willing to do for the Islamic people, but for their salvation, I'm not going to lie. I can't lie. I can't. I got to tell the truth. Amen. And the same thing with the Jewish people. There are some Christians that just love the Jews, you know, so much. They, they want to say they're all going to heaven, but that's not true. Jesus told a Jewish man named Nicodemus, you got to get born again. He didn't just say, hey, you're Jewish, you're getting in. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 8, he calls some Jewish people sons of the devil. So it's not like he was being easy on them either. So we're not saying Jews by being Jews are right and Muslims by being Muslims are wrong. What we're saying is hearts are hard and people need to be born again. And at the same time, there is an agenda and there is a plan. And it's either God's or it's the devil's. And you got to make that choice. Amen? People have to make that choice. I can't make that choice for you. You now have to go home and study and look at the evidence and go, which plan is God's? Because obviously, you know, I've debated Muslims, and I invite that chance to do it again. We've tried. Uh, We have generally found those who work in the Islamic community 
that once they see you debate and really destroy the argument of someone, they don't want to add you to their debate schedule anymore. They only like to debate the Christian pastors and leaders who don't have information. And I, I could give you evidence of this by email because they've, they, they've said to me they're not coming when they promised before they were coming after they saw our debates in the book because there's an intimidation. But if we can, and Juan is my witness. Juan, raise your hand. Juan and others have gone to the mosque. I've gone to the mosque, and we've invited them cordially. If we're saying something wrong, come, please, you know. It, it, you know, because there's different forms of Islam, you know, the Sufi, the Salafi. You know, if, if like the Salafis are more of the, uh, the, the more like hangout kind of people. I don't know, like the more spiritual people, rather. Uh, you know, if you want to come, come on. Or Salafi or the Brotherhood, I'm sorry. Um, Oh, I can't remember. Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't go there. I don't have time. But the bottom line is we've gone. Uh, Berto, where was the mosque that we went to? Yeah, look up the name of that mosque so I can at least get the name of their branch because it's all going. It wasn't Salafi. It was my fault. Okay, here's a couple questions. If Judaism is based on Old Testament laws and traditions, how can a person be a Jewish believer? I I think I explained that, but I will say it again. Jewish people believe in Jesus. Get born again. That's how, you know, this thing that sometimes you guys get confused about, it's really not confusing. How did Paul become a Christian? That is the answer. They repent. They get born again. They they do what everybody else, like they do what you did. So there's not a confusion uh, between that. Some people think we're so opposite, but no, Jesus was a Jew. I don't know if I can state that any more clear than that. Okay, here's another question. If a Jewish person dies now without being born again, will they be saved? At the final judgment. No, that's, that's the point. That's what Jesus was telling people. Jesus did not tell the Jewish person, when I come back and save Israel, you'll be okay. So it's, it doesn't matter if you listen to me right now. No, he was very serious with them. You better listen to me right now. Paul preached the Jewish people. You better listen. The book of Hebrews is written mostly to Hebrew people. You better listen. So there is no other opportunity for them to get saved. So anybody who reads this kind of happy talk towards the end and says, I'll be a Jew that gets saved then, there is no guarantee you'll make it to then, and there's just a rebellious heart in you already. Because if you think that's true and you're believing it, because that's in the New Testament, but then you're not going to live for Jesus, you have a rebellious heart. These are, that's a promise for a nation that doesn't even recognize the book, the Bible it's coming from. Because that's a New Testament promise. Are you guys with me? And what God is saying is, I, I am going to reveal myself to the people here. And that was it. Let's all stand up. Do you all love Jesus? Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. We went to Metro University today. Band, altar workers, would you come? I have had some of the best conversations in the back of the church after these messages, if you want to meet me back there uh, by the brick year, uh, the brickyard, uh, no, the brick uh, wall, meet me right back there. I'll be uh, hanging out if you have more questions. And we just want to tell you we love you. This this hot topic series I've been talking to, because if I'm going late, I might as well just go a little bit later, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Salvador looked away. He's like ashamed. Do you still love me, Salvador? Oh, thank you. Here's the deal. I took on this hot topic series personally and purposefully. I knew it would be personal for me. I knew it it would affect me. And I did it purposely because I know what it would affect you. I don't think you can walk away from a message like today and not be affected. It really gets to you. And so I just want to say this as we get ready to close, and we're going to have time of prayer, like always. If you need prayer for anything, come up. We'll sing some songs. Um, But what I would do if I were you and you're not, let's say you're not decided, I would look back over my notes. 
And, and if you believe in God already in the Bible, then look at the Bible, look at the notes, and see where you're at. If you have friends that you want to ask them questions about this, ask them. And if they disagree, get one of our leaders because we don't want to purposely misrepresent them. So if you know somebody from the Palestinian perspective, and they're like, no, we don't agree with Hamas. Your pastor lied, and that source he gave you was a lie. Well, then talk to one of our leaders because we don't want to say wrong things. But here's my hope, what I think will happen. After you do that, I think you're going to want to pray for Israel. I think you're going to want to believe God for the salvation of Muslims. I think you're going to want to do what the Bible said. And so that's what I want to pray for today. I want to pray for your family's sake, as the Bible said, that you'll bless Israel. I don't know if that means you're going to get a bigger Christmas present this Christmas. I don't know how you're going to get blessed, but the Bible says it's for your family's sake. You will be blessed. So I'm going to ask that we'll do that as a congregation. Amen. Let's just close our eyes and bless Israel. Lord, we bless Israel today. In your own words, right now, just say, Lord, I bless them and I pray for their protection. Come on, if you've seen some of the things in the media, just pray for it right now. Lord, we pray for the violence to cease. We pray for the lands around Israel. We pray for Syria. We pray for the other nations. We pray for our Muslim neighbors and our friends that even live here in the West. Uh, I I pray for my uh, Muslim uh, realtor that came over a couple years ago and we were talking and doing things and He didn't even believe me that some of those verses were in the Quran. And I showed him, and I could see the shock on his face. Lord, I pray for him today. I pray pray for them to, to really search their heart to see if this is what they want to believe. I know there's others that that, that say there's different versions of Islam, and this is the wrong one. But, Lord, I pray for their eyes to be open. God, if Muhammad was standing right in front of them, Lord, he would say those words. And I pray they take those words serious. They they, they change, God. They repent for that. Jesus, we pray for Israel. We pray for Muslims. We pray for the Middle East. We pray for our country, Lord. We pray for our military. We pray for the hostages right now. Lord, we pray for their, their, their safe return. Lord, we, we, we lift up to you uh, just what's going on in places we don't even know, like politics. Lord, I, just because I'm American doesn't mean I trust what they do there in that White House. Lord, there, there's so many shady things going on there. Uh, Lord, I pray for corruption to leave and false agendas to leave. It may very well be true that America has interests of money and oil in some of these places. And, and Lord, I pray that that won't be their heart. And whatever politics or leaders are using this situation for greed... I pray, God, that you will uh, change the leaders' hearts. Make us a holy nation. Uh, right now, Lord, I'm just I'm praying for some of the victims of terrorism already, for 9-11 victims and the 7-7 bombings in London and military families who've lost their lives, like my brother who buried his son, who buried Billy, because Billy went to Afghanistan for a war he probably didn't even understand. I pray for those slain soldiers' families today, for all the blood that's been shed. We pray for peace. Now, Lord, as we walk out these doors, we have a lot of information. I pray we don't use it to argue or to start fights, but I pray we do it to speak the truth. And, Lord, we bring it back to the gospel. 
that you died for the sins of the world. You're coming back again, and you want everyone to be your son or daughter. Lord, I pray that that gospel message will now come with more of an intensity, more of a more of a haste because we now know a bit more about what's coming up. So this will motivate us to be better gospel preachers. We'll, we'll talk on the bus because we know this, this bus may not be here next week. It could be the uh, next attack and, and life could change in Chicago. And We don't know who's going to be on that bus next week. So we're going to take that opportunity now to preach. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done in us and through us. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, congregation, for helping me do this. Slap your neighbor high five and say, get Israel's back, baby. Come on. If you need prayer, come on up.